0: For now, the second Sunday, we will be uh, looking at Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. If you have a Bible, there should be one there in front of you in the uh, pew. You can certainly see the passage before you in your worship bulletin, but we are looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to finish out uh, this chapter, so uh, verses 12 through uh, 31. And the reason we are looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is because we are uh, reminding uh, one another that we are called to serve the church body. Uh, It's not good enough for us to uh, simply uh, grace uh, this building with our presence. We actually are called, if we are believers, we're called to serve our brothers and sisters in the life of the church, Uh, all those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. This is your calling, and this is my calling. And a passage of scripture like 1 Corinthians chapter 12 reminds us of that and so we're spending two Sundays in this chapter. Little theologians, very grateful that you are here with us this morning. I want you to draw for me, if it's okay with mom and dad, a self-portrait. Just draw a picture of yourself. The image that Paul has for us in this chapter is one image, it's the image of a human body. And so, draw yourself, your own human body. Our passage, again, is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll begin at verse 12. But first, why don't you join with me in prayer? Let's pray together. Father, we need you to not just command us to tell us what to do as those who belong to you through Jesus Christ. We need you to energize us to do those things which you command us to do. We need your Holy Spirit. We need that Spirit to work deeply in us And we need that Holy Spirit to utilize who we are as people such that the Holy Spirit's work would be manifested in what we say and do and even in what we think. That same Holy Spirit gives us understanding from your word. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, that Holy Spirit would be put to work as we read and focus upon your word. Thank you for making yourself known by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of our Lord. This is indeed, it seems, a simple metaphor the metaphor of a body, but I'm sure you heard in the description of this metaphor Paul saying things about the body that maybe uh, elude us or hard to uh, understand. Let me begin uh, with uh, a picture of a different kind of body, and then we'll uh, carry more deeply into this metaphor of the human body that Paul uses. I don't know how many of you uh, watch a team sports. My guess is a lot all? (laughs) Where I come from, a a sport that is well known is the sport of hockey. And I don't know if you uh, have seen much uh, hockey, but uh, I have been to many games of the University of Alaska at Anchorage uh, Seawolves. Uh, That uh, hockey team was the team I followed. I started college at UAA. And hockey is one of those sports that happens so quickly, it is almost as if there are numerous players that are all thinking with one mind. It just happens so fast. And when you're there, you actually can see that puck and you can follow the action. Uh, I think that's harder on television. But when you're there, you feel as though the team is thinking with one mind. Now, not always, of course, but the passes are so quick, and the position of the players is so precise. Everyone seems to be at just the right place at just the right time, and it lasts for a quarter of a second, and then it all changes, well, to a different right place at a different right time. And truth be told, most sports are like this. I think basketball is like this. Soccer is very much like this. In a sense, it's not all that amazing. Paul here is using a picture of a body, an organism, and, and everyone seems to be doing the right thing at the right time, or are they? This image of a body is an important image for 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but what I want us to see this morning is that Paul is not describing necessarily the strengths of the body. He's actually describing the propensity for that body to be weak, He is in many ways in this passage, he's showing the frailties of the body. Yes, indeed, many members making up one single body. But really that concept of the body is described mostly in the first two verses. And the real bulk of this passage from verse 14 on really is about the potential weaknesses of that body. Weaknesses of the members within that body. He's not describing the perfect hockey match, the perfect hockey team. He's actually, actually showing us the likelihood of error on that, on that hockey team. Now, he's going to tell us that uh, the, the human body is an important image, and he's going to work with that metaphor, but he's going to use it to give us three applications. And so uh, you're going to hear in this sermon, and uh, beginning with uh, the very image of a body, and what I want us to understand is that God's de- design and glory is for the body of Jesus to be like the human body. God's design and glory is for the body of Jesus... The church of Jesus Christ to be like a human body. And yet, as Paul describes this glorious body, he's going to point out potential weaknesses. Three weaknesses in particular. Members in the body, they tend to covet other members in the body. That's the first weakness. And members in the body, they they tend to condemn other members in the body. That's the second. And members in the body, they tend to separate from other members in the body. That's the third. So what I want to do is I want to begin with this metaphor of a human body because that metaphor is far better than the metaphor of a hockey team. So verses 12 through 13 first, and then we'll look at the applications. The human body is God's design for God's glory. And look how the passage begins. The body is one and has many members, Paul says. And he states this again in reverse order. All the members of the body, though many, are one body. One body, many members, and then many members, one body. Paul's being very clear about his metaphor. It's appropriate for us to ask, however, what is it that Paul believes about the human body? Any ordinary human body. Let's go to the basics. What does Paul believe about the human body. Well, he believes that God's responsible for making the human body. Paul really believes that God is the creator and he made the human body. Paul also believes that the human body uh, even though it is sinful after the fall of Adam, it's still uniquely special in comparison to the bodies of all the other creatures. The human body is special even this side of the fall of Adam. Because the human body carries the image of God. Paul believes the human body is created by God. He believes the human body uh, carries the image of God. Paul believes that the human body was meant to live and to advance, uh, to move forward. God made the human body to be uh, vital, full of life. He believes that about the human body. Paul also believes that God himself values the human body, and so we should value the human body. We should use the human body that we have been given for God's glory, not for our own glory, for holy purposes and not unholy purposes. Paul certainly believes the human body is occasionally unhealthy, sick, lame, damaged. Even his own body is corrupted by what he calls the thorn in the flesh, He understands that about the human body. Paul also believes the human body is meant to relate to other human bodies and to relate to God. Uh, The human body was not meant to be alone, but to be with other human bodies. Paul also believes this. He believes that the human body has a future that is eternal, that the human body will be resurrected on that final day, and that all of us will have human bodies for all eternity. Now, now what, what I've just called out are those things that we know Paul believes about the human body. And that's important for us for this reason. Paul is making a very profound point here. Paul is not saying that the human body is just a complex system. That's not what he's saying. Because then he could use an example of a watch, if he had a watch. Or the example of a factory, if there was a factory in Corinth or the example of a particle accelerator. I don't know how that would happen. But Paul's not just saying that uh, we are a complex and the church is complex. And, and he's also not saying that the, that the church is the kind of body that is just like some type of social organization, like a well-run company or a nation or a well-run hockey program. Paul is saying something more about the human body. And it's good for us to go back and understand what it is that Paul believes about the body because Paul is saying that the human body is God's own special design for life and God's own special design for glory. He believes that about the human body. He believes that because he is a Christian. He believes that because he understands what God has taught in Scripture. The human body is God's own special design for life and for his own glory. This is true with regards to the oneness of the human body, its unity, and this is true with regards to the multiple parts or members of the human body. God's design is deliberate, and God's objective is his own eternal glory. Here's where Paul's taking us. All of that that he believes about the human body, God's deliberate design, God's eternal glory, the body of Jesus is like this as well. Do you see how profound the end of verse 12 is? So it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. This is profound. Listen to how he describes the the profundity of the body of Jesus being like the human body. Paul is not talking here about the physicality of Jesus' body, Jesus' bones and his tissues and his skin and his flesh. He's talking about the body of Jesus, but he's talking about the body of Jesus in terms of those who were converted by the Holy Spirit. And as a consequence of that conversion, they are literally incorporated into the body of Jesus. And not only that, these converted people who have been so integrated into the body of Jesus, they receive their nourishment from Jesus. They are nourished by that body. Look what Paul says, they are made to drink of one's spirit. God's deliberate design for God's eternal purpose. That's the church of Jesus Christ. It's it's our human body as well, but that's the body of believers in Jesus. The body of believers in the visible church of Jesus Christ is God's deliberate design for his eternal glory. That's how profound this is. Think about everything that Paul believes with regards to the human body. That and so much more with regards to the church. But Paul's not just saying something profound about the church of Jesus Christ. He's saying something else. He's saying something that is secured within the church of Jesus Christ or a promise in Christ Jesus. It's profound, this metaphor, and this metaphor is also a promise. Look at the explicit allowance Paul makes in verse 13. All of this life that we have in the body of Jesus, this life in the church, it is true whether we are Jew or Greek. The Holy Spirit is willing to incorporate into the body of Jesus a large spectrum of people. In fact, using the language of Revelation chapter 7, every nation, every tribe, every people group, every language can be incorporated into this body. You see, It's not just profound, it's a promise. And this is true also, you can see there in verse 13 whether you are slave or free, every socioeconomic tribe and every social strata can be incorporated and is indeed incorporated into the profound body of Jesus, which is like the human body no Christian is left out of the body of Jesus. You hear what Paul is saying. The human body, it's God's deliberate design for God's eternal glory. But but because the church of Jesus Christ is profound, and because the church of Jesus Christ has good and secure promises, so too for that church— the body of Jesus it also is God's deliberate design for God's eternal glory now why say things that sound so obvious out of these two verses it's important to say this because we are very quick to shrink down the body of Jesus in our own estimation with regards to how we think and the way we spend our time We, even as professors of Christianity, we tend to shrink down the body of Jesus. I mean, how do we normally describe our participation in the body of Jesus? How do we normally think about our membership in the church? I mean, just think to yourself, what is the most precious social organization that you belong to? Ask yourself that honestly in terms of how you think, your thought life, what are you often thinking about in terms of your favorite social organization? What are you most often speaking about? What are you doing with your time? I venture to guess that there are a number of competing social organizations in our minds and in our speech and in our actions. Is our family name more important? than being a part of the body of Jesus? The ancestry of our, sit, of, of, of our family, is that more important to us than being a part of the body of Jesus Christ and that ancestry? The college that we attended, the colors of that college, our fanhood, our regards with, uh, uh, the, uh, about sports teams, are these the kinds of things that we are most passionate about. Is that our favorite social organization? I just think about this for a moment. Are these competing social organizations that are other than being a part of the body of Jesus Christ, are these social organizations the ones that get our most, most of our thoughts, our actions, our money? Do we think about these social organizations as the very core of our identity? And if so, where's the church? Where's the body of Jesus? How interesting that we would uh, care about our physical bodies and our history and our sports teams far more than what that physical body, Paul is telling us, points to. God's deliberate design for God's eternal glory If you profess faith in Jesus Christ, you're a part of that body. That's the body that you belong to. That's the body that is secured by Jesus Christ. That's the body that that Jesus talks about. And, And this is the body that Jesus nourishes. This is the body that Jesus longs to see in the final day. And he will see that body face to face. This is Jesus's favorite body. To put it in uh, silly uh, terms, uh, this is Jesus' great fan. The, that, that body is the, is the body that Jesus paints his face for. The, the, the body that Jesus cheers for. The body that Jesus pays anything and everything to care for and to be the fan of. Does that sound like racy terminology to you? That's his body? What's the most important body to you? Now, this is merely the introduction of that concept or the metaphor of a body in these first two verses. Now, I want to jump through verses 14 through 31. You see, it's just a two-point sermon. It's the principle of the body of Jesus, and it's the application of the body of Jesus and beginning at verse 14 to the end i want us to see three applications of the grand picture of what the body of jesus is like again uh, this is uh, not uh, this metaphor is not meant to be um, an intellectual argument to paul uh, paul is speaking to a congregation a church that he planted perhaps 5 years ago he knows many in this church and he loves all of them. He wants them to grow in holiness. He wants them to mature. Paul's not using the imagery of a body, even though it's profound and even though it encapsulates a promise, he's not using the image of a body in simply intellectual philosophical terms. He's being practical. These three practical applications, even a child could understand. They just need to be able to reflect upon how their own body is made by God. And they begin to see that as a member of the church of Jesus, I shouldn't covet others. Look at verses 14 through 20. God's design and glory is for us to be content and not covet. In verse 15, there is a foot. A member of the body, and this member of the body uh, cries out over the fact that he or she's not a hand. And then in verse 16, it's not a foot that is crying out, it's an ear that cries out over the fact that he or she's not an eye. The foot wants to be a hand, and the ear wants to be an eye. What a strange body this is. But you understand what's happening, don't you? Let me offer a simple illustration from our own family's life. My uh, little boys in particular loved train tables, a little table that's at their height. And we didn't own one, but we could go to toy stores. They used to have toy stores, right? And we would go to toy stores, and and we would just park John John in front of a train table, and he would play on this big table with various uh, Thomas the Tank Engine trains and had a wonderful time. Do you know when the wonderful time ended? when some other kid came. And John could play uh, with uh, two trains, you know, a Thomas and a Percy, And, and everything would be just fine with Henry on the other side of the train table until another kid came and picked up Henry. And all of a sudden, John would be discontent. He's the foot who, in fact, is mad about being a foot and not a hand, an ear mad about being an ear, not an eye. That's what was happening in his heart, and you know exactly what that feels like. Notice how negative verse 15 and verse 16 are. Paul here is focusing on what we are not. And notice that this is not just about something that we do not possess, as if I don't have the train car that that little child has. It's not merely about not possessing something. It's almost as if that could be manageable, but it's more. It's about our identity to Paul. When we don't possess something, we feel as though our identity has been robbed. It's about not belonging. Not only am I not a hand or not an eye, I am less a part of the body. Verse 15 and 16, less a part of the body. It's not just they have a toy and I don't. They have a part of me, my identity. And because of that, I'm less a part of this body. Maybe I'm not part of the body at all. Do you see there in verses 15 and 16? I don't belong to the body at all. I don't belong. You know, theologians have looked at the Ten Commandments and noticed that that commandment against coveting really stands out. Coveting is an interesting sin. Theologians have long noticed that of the Ten Commandments, coveting seems to always be hidden. You know, stealing has a hidden uh, demeanor, but it also has a public dimension. You can steal in your heart from someone. But there's always that public dimension of actually stealing and the same with murder. You can murder someone in your heart or you can pull out a weapon and do it with your hands. Adultery is like that as well. You can commit adultery in your heart. There's that outward dimension of adultery and coveting seems different. The greater percentage of the sin of coveting, it seems to happen deep inside of us. It's the sin that we think that we can hide and the sin that perhaps we're slowest to confess. I'm going to give you another illustration. I think this really happens to all of us. When we're sitting in a restaurant enjoying our meal and someone else walks in, let's say it's another couple, Do you ever feel as though you're inferior to that other couple? They're younger than you, prettier than you, seem to be wealthier than you, happier than you? Have you ever noticed that? Oh, you don't have to confess right away. When do you think the coveting starts, soon as they walk in, or do you have to mull over their lives as you imagine them for a moment? Do you have to contemplate, I wonder what their life is like, the ways in which their life is better than mine? And then how do you shift from just doing that to begin doubting that you yourself are pretty or happy or youthful? And, and then uh, after a moment, you're not only uh, doubting that, you're doubting your own emotional state, you're less of a person somehow than this couple who's just walked in. Is that something that takes two minutes, five minutes, 30 minutes? But surely we all know how that feels. Someone walks into the restaurant and you say, that's a hand. That's a hand. That's their member in the body of jesus and hands are wonderful so useful they do so much but i'm not a hand i'm a foot and not only that i'm a smelly foot and that hand seems to really really belong i can i can imagine the hand belonging so well but not a foot even when i'm not smelly i'm not a hand i'm a foot the hand is special, but not the foot. Surely I'm not special, am I? Surely not. And perhaps I don't even belong. No, I'm, I'm sure I don't belong. I wish I were a hand. If I were a hand, oh, if I were a hand, I wouldn't feel the way I do right now. I wouldn't feel that ever again. I'd feel complete if only I were a hand isn't that foolish? I mean, it's, it's just silly. Little theologians, are you laughing inside? What a silly thing the pastor just said. But we actually feel this not just in a restaurant. We feel this in the church. We don't have to pretend that we're in a restaurant, but in a sanctuary like this, what perhaps is the first thing... Maybe the second thing we think of when someone walks in, do we covet? Do we think that uh, they're better, that I'm lacking, they truly belong and I don't belong? And this saddens us that we do this. Do you ever do this? It shouldn't merely sadden us, it should convict us because coveting is a sin, do you want to know the proof of that? Look in verse 18, and would you help me to, uh, to teach you that verse 18 can be, can be read positively and it can be read negatively. It can be something that is glorious and wonderful to hear, verse 18, but it also can be something that's very difficult to hear. Look at what it says. As it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose Isn't that beautiful and painful at the same time? God has a deliberate design for his church, and he has apportioned uh, the members to be members as he sees fit. He chooses and he arranges how gloriously liberating we should receive that. He knows what's best. Coveting is so inappropriate. But at the same time, he knows what's best. He chose. He arranged. You see, that can be positive and negative at the same time. But saints of Jesus Christ, members of the body of Jesus, he did arrange and he did choose. The body of Christ is God's design for God's glory. And guess what, Christian? You belong. You belong. Never should you think that you don't belong. You do belong. Do you believe that? Because God designed the church body to consist of members, and God baptized you into that body as a member that is different from, distinct from other members. You belong not because you measure yourself well with other members. You belong because God designed his body with you as a member. And yes, it is true. You may not like yourself as a member. And you may struggle with coveting the the kind of work that others are doing. But God likes you as a member of the body of Jesus. And God loves you as a member of that body. He arranged it. He arranged you. His design for His glory. So verses 14 through 20, God's design and glory is for us to be content and to not covet. Look what happens in verse 21. This is the second, 21 through the first half of 24. God's design and glory is for us to commend others, not to condemn them. You see in 21, the eye cannot say, I have no need of you, hand. And the head cannot say, I have no need of you, feet. Sometimes the member of the body of Jesus disregard other members. We don't completely write them off, but we judge them to be less a member than we are. Do you see how this is the opposite of coveting? This is more like cutting them off from the body. You know, we're not told exactly what's happening here in these verses. The, the, the church in Corinth has all kinds of problems. The coveting may feel more universal, more like us than the condemnation but look at verse 22. Paul says that there are people in the church at Corinth who measure and assess others that they find to be weaker and in verse 23 the same kind of measurement and assessment is taking place they find others to be less honorable. It may not necessarily be a sin to find others weaker or less honorable they're not sin kinds of words in the Bible. The problem doesn't seem to be that individual members in the church are finding some to be weaker or less honorable. Many commentators believe that Paul is describing what is actually a normal reality in the church, that in the church there are those who who you could call weaker, those who you could call less honorable. They're not moral categories. It's just the way the church is. Uh, Some uh, have strong faith, some have weak faith, Uh, some uh, bodies are healthier bodies and they can serve more in the church and some are unhealthy bodies and they serve in different ways in the church. Uh, With regards to honorable and less than honorable, uh, this may simply be a reference to giftedness that seems extraordinary and giftedness that seems uh, common and nearly invisible. The members of the body of Jesus are simply different. The problem is not the difference. The problem is the arrogance of our human assessment. We judge some to be dispensable members rather than indispensable. We assess certain members as being not necessary but unnecessary. Have you ever felt written off in the life of the church? Paul says that rather than condemn we are to commend in a per- particular way. I think all of uh, 23 and 24, uh, read this with the language of clothing, the word for bestow in verse 23. It's, it could be read as uh, dressing or putting on clothing. And all Paul is saying is that there are, we have different parts of our human body and we cover different parts of our human body in different ways. You can walk into a store with your arms uh, uncovered. But you should cover your torso. You can walk into a store with your head uncovered, but there are certainly parts of your body out of cover before you go into a store. That's that's all Paul is saying. He's saying that there are certain parts of your body that may seem like they need to be hidden. But Paul is saying, in the life of the church, you're you're not cutting people off. Yes, you should cover your torso when you go out in public, but that doesn't mean you cut your torso off. It just means you dress appropriately. And what Paul is saying is he's saying those parts of your body that you actually have to cover before you go out in public, he says that actually is an example of something that is good. You, you are covering, you are clothing something on you. Do that in the church. Those people whose giftings are weak, whose abilities seem to be less honorable. Elevate them, clothe them, treat them in a special way. Paul is saying uh, we are not to uh, condemn, but to commend. What is he saying here? It's such a strange image. I know that. But this is the point. Certain members of the body of Jesus may seem to be hidden or invisible, working in the background. Paul says, don't condemn them, but bestow greater attention on them. Those whose gifts seem to be private, quiet service, call them out, not to condemn them, to boast over them because your gifts are more public, more pronounced, but rather elevate those who have these simple gifts that they would know more and more they are necessary, indispensable members of the body. No unimportant tasks in the life of the church. No unimportant gifts in the life of the church. Honor them. Dress them well. So, no condemnation but commendation. And then finally this, God's design and glory is for us to share with one another and not to separate. Verse 24 through 26... You see what's happening here. God, in verse 24, has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. The word for division is where we get our word for schism, but Paul's not talking about a church that has some great problem. He's simply talking about our normal, natural status people. We're so selfish, aren't we? We take care of ourselves. This may be the most difficult application of all, especially for the American church. We know how to take care of number one. But God's design and glory is for us to share and not separate. When someone suffers, of course I don't want to suffer myself, and of course I don't want to suffer with them. But Paul says that's your job as a member of his church. When someone is honored, I don't want to rejoice with others. I want to see myself honored. But Paul says that's not how the church of Jesus works. There may be a special propensity against this because we're American Christians. But when someone suffers, we all must suffer. We run into suffering. And when someone else is honored, we join in the rejoicing of the honoring of that person. Can I just tie these things together? God's design and glory is for the body of Jesus to be like the human body. What Paul is saying here is he's saying that rather than covet others, Let's be content with how God is using us. Can we do that together? Can we be content with how God is using us in the life of the church? I want to make an appeal to you that you do that best by serving others. The life of the church is on-the-job training. How can you be content in how God has gifted you unless you are using your gifts for the body? We don't want to be a church that, that makes everyone serve in the church with complete and utter perfection. We don't do that to one another. We accept one another's service as strong or as weak as it is rather than covet others by brothers and sisters. Serve, make an effort, and in that effort be content with how God's using you. That's the first thing. It's just two more and I'll conclude. Rather than measure and condemn others, can we make sure to elevate ordinary service in the life of the church? We're Presbyterians, we we put a tall stake in uh, education and knowing our doctrine well and quoting theologians with multisyllabic last names. But there is so much ordinary ministry in the church, and you know this. You have been helped by others, served by others in simple ways that no one knows about. Let's us as a church body, rather than measure others, let's elevate the ordinary. Would you thank your teachers? Would you thank those who are helping you and helping others? Would you focus your eyes on those hidden gifts and abilities in the life of the church and seek those people out to thank them? That's the second. And the third is this. Rather than separate from one another, let's share with one another. You know, as we serve one another, we think about that as an expending of energy for others. And it is that. But it's also just being with others a brother or sister in Christ. Let's share intimately. You know, we have four values as a church, but we have three attitudes, the ways in which we want to pursue those values. And the three attitudes are hospitality and hope and relationship building. We want to be the kind of church that's not just serving one another, but understanding that in that service, we're building relationships with one another. Paul's not saying in First Corinthians 12 that the church, because it's like a human body, is perfect. He's not saying that. But we must understand that it is God's design and glory that this be happening in this church, Covenant Presbyterian Church. This is the body of Jesus, God's design for God's glory. Would we take that to heart as a church? Join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the wonderful way in which you've made the church. Would that humble us, and would we delight in being used by you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.